I mean, a lot of what, what we do with, when we're having conversations with these clients is understanding, you know, why do they want that crypto mortgage, right? Why don't they get a conventional loan? Like how strong is that desire for them to continue to hold their Bitcoin? And for some of them, which, you know, we've seen a number of our clients, they came in looking for a crypto mortgage and ultimately decided to go with something different, a 30-year loan where they did have a conventional down payment. And we were able to help them with that as well because we can offer that product for them. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast, and today's guest is Joseph Rapena, founder and CEO of Milo, a mortgage lender focused on serving foreign national buyers in the United States and also offering a crypto-backed mortgage product. In this episode, we talk about the background of crypto mortgages, exactly how they worked, how the collateral works with the crypto backing the purchase of real estate, expected interest rates, amortization, and principal payment schedules. We also go into some of the risks that are created by rapid changes in the U.S. housing market and how that intersects with rapid changes in crypto prices and how prices have come down significantly over the last year and some of the risks that are kind of compounding this ecosystem around the downfall of BlockFi and FTX and all of the headlines that have been crossing all of the financial press in recent weeks. Despite all this rapid change, Joseph remains focused on serving consumers that have large crypto balances and want to buy real estate in the United States. This is a really interesting episode that really aligns some of the top themes happening in financial news as well as the housing market. I hope you enjoy this episode with this founder and CEO of Milo. Joseph, thanks a lot for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. I know our, our HW Media brands have uh, have covered Milo over the years, but I'd love to like, I want to start with like, what what is Milo? And I like, I know the like, you know, the, the LinkedIn description, a financial technology that allows consumers that blah, blah, blah. Like, give us give us the view. Like, what, what's the business? Yeah. Um, so so I started the company four years ago and it was really rooted around being able to help consumers that I thought were, were very good, um, but the system wasn't really designed for them. Um, and we felt that mortgage was one of those great places to be able to start. Uh, my background was in financial services. I worked at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and covering these clients from a private wealth perspective. And I was seeing everybody coming to the U.S. to buy homes. And none of them were getting mortgages. Um, and uh, so really the company was rooted around, we, we, we feel that we can build unique financial products for these sets of consumers. Um, and we started out with with a mortgage for foreign national. Uh, and then over, over the past year, we, we launched a mortgage for people that have crypto uh, and, and have crypto wealth because it was the same thing that they were financially qualified. They just didn't have all of the exact criteria. Um, and, and really that, that, that's how I started the company. Really interesting. So the so the initial product was not the the crypto mortgage. No, it wasn't. It was it was a loan for someone from Canada or from Brazil or UK. Um, we've had people from over ninety countries apply for mortgages with us. Um, it was designed so that they could apply from anywhere in the world, find a property here in the U.S. They could access a mortgage with us, and they could close a transaction from anywhere in the world. And and that was really the first a uh, couple of years of, of the company, we were working on that. Nice. So, so I mean, like for these like traditional conforming loans or like what, what type of mortgage, like were you, uh, were you focused on out the gate with foreign nationals? Yeah. So 30 year mortgages, uh, loans for most of their case was to buy investment properties because they would live in their home country and they would come and they would buy 
a condo or single family home in Miami or New York or California. And they were doing that because the U.S. is is a great place um, where there's trust, stability, you know, rule of law, right? All of these things that in many of these places um, doesn't work as well. Uh, So they had amassed a certain amount of wealth and they wanted to really uh, invest in the U.S. or send their kids to school in the U.S., and, and this was really sort of that first way that they that they would start to interact here and, and invest in the U.S. Did you get it? Was your experience in private wealth management kind of your your exposure to this to this category of like foreign national who desired to to own real estate in the states? Absolutely. I mean, that was that was the whole thing. Is that I had been working with them for over ten years and seeing this, and it kept coming up over and over and over again, and and it blew my mind that. The desire for someone to basically buy a property in the U.S. was so strong that uh, they didn't uh, necessarily say, all right, if I can't get a mortgage, I won't do this. They were coming in here and about 65% of the time they were buying these properties without a loan. And uh, and if you compare that to the U.S. market, 90% of people get mortgages in the U.S. So here you have a consumer from Brazil that's buying a property in Miami and says, well, if I can't get a mortgage, it doesn't really matter. I need to do this. And this is such a strong um, financial decision for me to make that, that I'm going to do this. So I had seen that over and over and over again. And really the firms that I worked at were the ones that already had a relationship with them. So we really should have been doing it well and and we weren't. So, so that was really the aha moment that I think we could, we could do something special here. I know for, for like, clients in the States, like Morgan Stanley has a, has a mortgage division and like there's liquidity access lines through all like the big private wealth managers for, for folks with significant assets were, were foreign nationals not being served by, by those product categories. Or was like there another reason that like the bigger U S or, or global private wealth management firms were, were unable or unwilling or unlikely to serve the foreign national clientele from a housing finance perspective. Yeah. So, so at Morgan Stanley, I sat on the international client division, right? So I, I worked okay. with those clients. Um, so all those things that you described, I'm you know, very familiar with. And it really came down to that mortgage. If you had a very large account at Morgan Stanley, yes, absolutely. We'll give you a mortgage, right? We'll, we'll find a way of, of, of solving this, this, this problem for you. Um, but let's say you had a million dollar account or 500,000, and then you had a bunch of other relationships and the majority of your wealth was maybe in your account back home then there really wasn't that strong of a desire to, to really give you that unique mortgage product. Whereas a U.S. consumer, you know, the, the big the big player is really Fannie and Freddie, right? The agencies you know, with mortgages really being subsidized. And um, so whether if you're a customer from the U.S. and you've got a good FICO score, you've got a good job, right? You can go to a number of people and they're going to they're gonna get you that, that agency loan. But if you're a foreign national and you don't have income here in the U.S. if you don't have tax returns. Now, all of a sudden, it really becomes a very bespoke mortgage. And it becomes a question of who wants to hold that mortgage. And does Morgan Stanley want to have that mortgage on their balance sheet? Most of the time, the answer was no. But if the client was big enough, then the answer is yes, because it's a relationship decision, not necessarily here. I I, I love doing mortgages for international clients, right? Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. So there's kind of a level of wealth and a level of wealth with the institution that serves as the kind of the defining point, whether housing finance is a, a product that's available. So you left big bank land, left private wealth management land, <laughs> launched Milo. Were you, do you have, do you have co-founders? Like what was the founding story? Like what did the early days look like? 
Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, you know, I spent the first six, seven months, I was still at Morgan Stanley trying to convince myself not to do this. Uh, and then, uh, and then I ran out of nose uh, and uh, saw that there was, there was just a need for this. And, and I was seeing it from, from clients that, that I worked with and talking to other uh, advisors and, and they were saying the same thing. Hey, you know, yeah, if you do this, you know, one will support you too. I think this is a, this is, this is something really interesting here. Um, and at the time, you know, my background had been primarily just in, in financial services. You know, I, I had built a technology company. I hadn't done that. I had started a previous company before, but not in the way that I was planning on building this company, you know, being venture back, taking investors outside capital, um, because I felt that that was the best way to really be able to accelerate uh, and and build something pretty big uh, and special. So, so no co-founders. I just, I just decided, Hey, this is, this is it. And I'm going to try to build a great team and, and find people that believe in what we're doing. And, um, and fast forward today, you know, the team is roughly sort of 50 people with multiple nationalities, you know, people from, from Brazil, from Ukraine, from Venezuela, from Colombia, from, from all over the world that, um, resonate with, uh, with the missions. So if you re- kind of rewind back four plus years ago when you're you're out launching the business and and raising capital, that initial like investment memorandum and business plan, like was the was the roadmap to like, go down the path of um, cr- crypto mortgages or like were you going to be like straight like digital brokerage or digital correspondent focused on the the foreign national space? Like how how did you roadmap? Like what narrative was like were you going out the gate with? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, and there was actually a crypto story before that, even, even before I started Milo to, to work with international clients. Um, I really had this idea that people were amassing crypto wealth and Bitcoin wealth. And I don't know if you cr- recall back then, but there was a lot of ICOs and all these sort of initial offerings. And, uh, and there was a lot of excitement in the space. And I was a guy at Morgan Stanley talking to individuals there about it. Um, it, it, it wasn't really something that people really wanted me to talk about, right? Crypto at, at a big bank um, that didn't really have a strong position around um, you know, digital assets at that time. Um, but nonetheless, I felt that this is wealth, right? This is something that people are amassing. And at some point, if they have enough of it, they're probably going to want to access uh, real world financial products, you know, be it a mortgage, right? Buy a car, you know, use a credit card, right? All, all of these things that um, for most of us that, that, that earn in dollars really take for granted every day. But if the majority of your wealth is in digital assets, then you're going to need um, companies or a set of companies to provide these services for you. And um, that's really what got me back to that last year is that no one had really solved for that yet, at least on the mortgage side. So Joseph, the, the movement in the crypto markets has been, has been notable over the last few years. And, um, like, I mean, even since the, your initial thesis was coming together in 2017, we've seen massive run-ups and market come down and, and run up again. And, and now we're at a place where, you know, the crypto market has had some major scares. We're on the, we're recording this kind of on the back end of the, the unwinding of, of FTX, which will likely take, take years and, um, the, the BlockFi announcement this week of their, their bankruptcy. And like, I, I think it's, we have to like address the elephant in the room. Like, how do these failures in the market, um, impact like consumer willingness to, to like stay involved in crypto and then like business willingness to like say like, Hey, this crypto back mortgage is still like a, you know, a thesis we're, we're betting on and the adoption is going to be there despite these, like these headlines. Great question. I mean, it's one that 
obviously as a company, right, we're living, we're living through, um, you know, I think that sometimes people forget that, you know, these companies that you know, have experienced some of this turmoil and, and obviously consumers that, that have been obviously along for the ride. Um, I, I, I want to believe that many of them did not launch these businesses with that intent or that final result. You know, I think that everybody starts a company with the best of intentions. And for a lot of them, I think the businesses grew very, very rapidly. Um, and quite frankly, maybe grew too fast which caused them to not be in a position to be able to manage a business growing at that clip and certain things happened. And, and obviously, you know, the, the end result is regrettable in, in, in all uh, circumstances. One thing though, that I've realized is that there's been a tremendous amount of resilience within the ecosystem and the customers that we've been working with, they're not the individuals who bought Bitcoin six months ago. It's the individuals who bought Bitcoin eight years ago, 10 years ago, that they've seen some of these cycles. They've seen, um, you know, patches of, of stress, uh, and at the same time also seeing peak prices, uh, and have decided not to sell at those levels because they believe that there is an opportunity in the digital ecosystem for the long run. And they're making that bet and a product like ours helps them really fulfill that and that they can buy a house, not have to sell their Bitcoin and really be able to do both things at the same time. And for us as a company, you know, we've continued to originate these loans. Um, you know, we're closing some loans this week. You know, we have customers that are coming every single day, applying for these loans, asking us, having conversations. You know, how are you guys doing? How are your assets? How many margin calls have you had? Like all of these things that I think people really want to know. And I think that for us as a company, you know, we've thought a lot about that is that our business is very simple. Um, we have a customer that needs a loan. They want to buy a house. They have these assets. We consider those assets for the qualification of the loan. Those digital assets are going to sit there. If the person makes their payments and decides to repay the loan, your assets go back to them. In the event that they can't make payments, we can sell some of the assets to make those mortgage payments. And that's it. We don't go, we don't lend out their assets. We don't basically you know, interact with some of these players. We have a very fundamental different business model where some of these other companies, I think they, they really had many, many different business lines and divisions um, that really has them operating very, very differently. And I think that the lending side isn't what got them in trouble. It was what they were doing with customers' assets that got them in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a notable differentiation. So let's talk, can we talk about like how the the crypto backed mortgage works and like the, like how the collateral works. And, um, and I'd love to kind of like, like go down the path. We, we talked, you mentioned like people are making their payments. It's all good. So like, there's just things I don't understand about the crypto mortgage. Like, are we paying in USD? Are we paying in, in digital assets? I'd love to kind of start with like the architecture of the product. Yeah. So in, in a, in a very sort of, you know, rough example, someone wants to buy a million dollar home. Uh, they've identified it, you know, they're excited to buy it and they're sitting on Bitcoin or ETH. Historically, what they've had to do is sell some for a down payment and then likely go out and try to find a lender um, that'll give them a mortgage. Well, unfortunately, that sale triggers a taxable event for them, right? It'll trigger in the best case of scenarios, 24% tax rates, long-term capital gains. In the worst case, it could be closer to 40 or 50%, depending on the state that they live in. So for us with the structure of our product is, you know, we really wanted them to not have to sell and really continue to hold these assets for the long run. 
So we can finance 100% of that transaction. So million dollar home, we can finance a million dollars. And in turn, what we're going to need from them is at least a million dollars worth of Bitcoin or ETH or a combination of either of those. We also have a 40% down USDC under collateralized product um, that we've been doing that loan for several consumers as well, because what we found is that many people are living and they're holding the majority of their assets in USDC, no longer at a traditional bank. And this was a very, very important product for them um, to be able to go out and get a mortgage. Um, so, but most of our loans have been done on that one-to-one basis, right? Million dollar home, million dollars of Bitcoin. And in that case, the person will transfer that Bitcoin to us. We're going to lend 100% of it. We're going to transfer the dollars to the settlement agent, the title agent. And they're going to pay us uh, a monthly payment like any other mortgage uh, in dollars. So you peg like the, in the million dollar house scenario, like you peg the million dollars um, in Bitcoin to the, the price at that time. How do you manage fluctuation in value? And uh, to, to the upside or downside, or is that a risk you have to accept as long as they're making the payments? Yeah. So, so I think we, we both bear the risk, right? I think that there are some elements of it, which is one of the reasons why we started out that one-to-one level because a customer is not putting a down payment. So in this case, the value of the Bitcoin can go down 65%. So in that million dollar scenario, there's $350,000 worth of Bitcoin. At that point in time, we're going to ask the customer to do one of two things, either reduce the loan balance or post additional Bitcoin or Ethereum collateral for the loan. You see, if they do that, there would be no sale. It wouldn't trigger any, any potential taxable event. And we do that because at that point in time, we don't have enough of their collateral to mitigate a potential loss for us because there's no down payment. So that was important. And looking back from when we started originating these loans, which was in Q2, we have yet to basically request additional collateral from anybody or post a margin call in spite of the value of Bitcoin coming down pretty significantly. Um, so our models so far have proven correct. And for many of the consumers that we work with, this also wasn't the only amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum that they had. They have additional um, uh, digital assets that they could post if they needed to. Oh, wow. So you haven't, like, even as Bitcoin's come down from like over the last 18 months, like the, it hasn't come down to the extent where additional collateral was needed to be called. Okay. Correct. Yeah. We started originated, uh, originating loans when you know Bitcoin was roughly about 27,000. A lot of the loans that we did, it was when it was 21, 22,000. Um, we're closing a few million dollars of loans this week. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to, to sort of see that. And I think that that's really, really great for us to, to see as a company is that in spite of everything that's happening out there, the desire for people to want to buy homes and keep their Bitcoin and their Ethereum remains very, very strong. Uh, and we're closing transactions in this period of turbulence. So, as a team, you know, we remain fully committed to continuing to improve the product, help customers get the feedback and, and, and really sort of build out this category. Interesting. And then like, I mean, the topic on the back end of like the FTX and BlockFi news has been custody. How do you think about like custody of, of assets? Do consumers like borrowers have a concern of like where like the Bitcoin is, is actually housed or is that, is that your risk once like the mortgage is uh, issued? It's, it's twofold, similar to, to the risk around the value of the collateral, right? For us, you know, we're not taking a directional bet on the value of Bitcoin, right? If a customer pays us back, we owe them the Bitcoin uh, no matter what. Um, 
And for us, you know, working with reputable counterparts, because as a business where we're holding lots and lots of digital assets for customers, we don't have the luxury of saying, here, we're just going to drop it into a, a cold storage and a little you know, USB somewhere and just sort of stick it in a bank, right? Like we actually have to work with credible, reputable counterparts um, like most large institutions. Um, so for us, historically, we've worked with Coinbase and we've worked with Gemini. And, you know, and we continue to believe that both of them are good custodians and counterparts. And when I say custodians, we interact with the entities that are part of the trust entities of those organizations. And Gemini has had some issues recently with their earned product, you know, indirectly to Genesis. Um, that's not something that um, we were impacted because we didn't participate in that. We had it literally sitting there um, in those vault accounts in cold storage. And recently, you know, we've made the decision to work uh, primarily with Coinbase in a similar structure where it sits in their trust, segregated accounts per customer in vaults in cold storage, um, because we believe that there's a lot of safety there around a company that reports quarterly, is audited, is regulated. There's a ton of visibility. You know, if you go and you read their filings, you know exactly how much they have in loans. You have exactly how much they own in assets. You have exactly where they hold it. Um, and as a company, we're regulated, audited as well. So that that becomes an important consideration for us and who we do business with. Yeah, I mean, those are great points. I think the topic of governance has been like front and center over the the last few weeks. It's just insane the the lack of governance that it's, it seemed to be uh, you know in place with FTX and the SBF headlines that keep popping up of lack of governance and uh, Coinbase is kind of like showing their colors as the the mature player in market right now. It's probably a fair market for them to to win in. And there's so much work that goes into being able to comply with regulators and audits and quarterly updates, right? For us, you know, we have to detail how many applications came in on a per state basis. We have to say how many loans we closed, who we closed them for, where are our assets, what's in our bank accounts, our annual audits to be able to you know, provide um, clear guidance for our insurance providers, for our fidelity bonds, for our cybersecurity bonds, right? Like all of these things. And you know, we have a very, very high um, burden to basically prove and document and make sure that everything is there they have an even higher one because they're a public company. Um, so that makes a difference. And really, you know, companies that have this mindset, I think are fundamentally run differently than companies that don't have that type of oversight because it really doesn't matter whether they do it or not. The moment you have to say, here, I got to lock in and I got to prepare and I got to do this. It makes you pause and think, all right, are we doing this the right way? Someone's giving you feedback. How do you do it right? And then if you don't do it right, you know, you may not be able to get your license and everyone's going to know you didn't pass that or you got fined. Um, so that that's a really, really important thing to build a credible track record. Interesting. So as you look forward five years in your, in your business strategy, like, do you expect Milo to be the, the mortgage lender catering to, to foreign nationals with conventional and crypto backed products? Or are you building in a direction where like the digital asset crypto bass backed product is a, is the cornerstone of the business model. I mean, we, we want to build products that people feel are necessary, right? We want to build things that are unique, um, that it's not the things that everyone else can do, but the things that are hard to do and that consumers want. Um, so with the foreign national product, we continue to see interest and demand for it. I think with this crypto product, the reason why we're really so excited about it is because one, we don't think that crypto is going away. Two, we think that over time, as this continues to appreciate, there's more consumers that are going to need the solution. Of the loans that we've originated so far, 
we've been working primarily on investment properties. We're working on a primary home solution, which is hopefully coming out in the not too distant future, where we think that that is going to really open this up for many, many individuals to continue to hold um, Bitcoin and Ethereum for the long run uh, and are going to need a product like this. So I think we're going to continue to go down this path. I think as a company, you know, wherever we see there's an opportunity, you know, whether it's a crypto mortgage, whether it's a loan for a foreign national whether it's a standalone crypto loan or some of these other products that people want, I think that that's where we're, where we'll try to make a difference. So kind of shifting to, to housing market impact on, on your, on your business, uh, as we look at the change rapid increase in mortgage interest rates over the last year and the uh, recent reporting that um, home prices are, are kind of moving down on a month over month basis over the, the last four or five months. How is that impacting? How is the, our current market dynamic impacting for national interest in, um, in buying in the United States? Another great question. So as a company, we, we have not seen a slowdown in the inbound interest around people wanting to get pre-qualified to understand how much they can afford and whether they can transact and buy a home in the U.S. That has remained very, very robust. What we are seeing is a market challenge that there are not that many homes out there. And the reality is that it may not be as competitive as it was maybe 12 months ago, but there's still only three months of housing supply out there. And it still remains very, very difficult. So I think that to the extent that some of that gets alleviated over time, which quite frankly, I don't know if it will, because there's not that many homes and the people that were able to purchase a home and got a two or 3% mortgage, there's not a big incentive for them to sell that at any time soon. Um, I think it remains, it remains challenging, but, but we are having lots of conversations with people that if the right home came across uh, and, and on the market, then, then they would definitely transact, whether it's a foreign national or whether it's someone that has crypto. Like putting back on your private wealth management hat, like do you see foreign nationals showing increased interest in real estate in the U.S. if if the value is better? So if we actually do see home prices come down, isn't this the environment where we start to see foreign investment pick up? It is. Um, it definitely is. And I think that there's a lot of geopolitical risk that's happening around the world uh, in Latin America. Um, that is really prompting people to look. They're doing their homework right now, and, and they're and they're really going to see if there, there's something that's interesting that comes on the market. This is why I think that you know we're not going to see this massive decline in housing prices. I think you're going to see certain markets. I think there are certain markets that prices have accelerated, and you know someone bought a home for two million you know twelve months ago, and now they're trying to sell it for five. You know, I think they're going to have to lower the price a bit, right? Because um, everybody can see that. Um, but uh, I, I do expect, and I do see them looking, right? They're reaching out. Um, again, you know, we, we sometimes forget how amazing the U.S. is as a country. You know, the stability, you know, if you buy something, it is yours. There's no one that's going to come and take it away from you, um, that you have title for it, and, uh, and you can pass it on to your heirs. It can appreciate over time. You can rent it out. You can live in it. You can do so many things with that real estate. And, you know, for many people, it's been that general generational wealth creation for them and their families and individuals in other countries, right? They, they want, they want part of that. Even if it's a smaller home somewhere in the Midwest or North Carolina or um, that we've been seeing demand for, or if it's a condo in Miami, right? They, they still, they still want that. So I expect interest to remain high. So your, so success for, for your business isn't so much riding on, um, rapid adoption of, of crypto, but as long as there's interest in buying real estate in the U S from foreign nationals, you'll be, you'll be there to serve them. 
Yeah, from a foreign national perspective, I think on the crypto side, what we've seen is that's predominantly U.S., right? This is individuals here in the U.S. Um, that don't want to sell their crypto, right? They, they want to keep it. And for a long period of time, they haven't bought, right? They haven't transacted. But now they're getting into these peak home buying years. And that sense of I need to buy a home is becoming stronger and stronger. And, you know, I think that in the conversations that we're having, at today's prices, I think most of them are net buyers as opposed to net sellers, right? So it's even it's even more of a reason to work with, with us and, and, and access a crypto mortgage. That's interesting, and I didn't catch that differentiation that the 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 crypto product does have a stronger like onshore U.S. concentration In, inside of the the crypto borrowers today. Are you seeing like heavy pockets of adoption from like? some of the the headline cities of crypto adoption like is is Miami a, a very active market or are you seeing kind of distribution across the US or interest across the US it's pretty distributed um you know it's Florida California Texas New York yeah Colorado Arizona right those are very very common markets right now for foreign nationals and as well as where where people are migrating to um Puerto Rico, right? No surprise there. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's pretty it's pretty diverse. I almost wore my Dorado sweatshirt today. I could have <laughs> been on a game. <laughs> so uh, as, as you as you think about that distribution strategy, like how, how are you reaching consumers? Like where does awareness come from? What's your like the marketing and demand gen strategy? Yeah, for us, it's really being able to to get good content out there um, to to do press releases and you know have conversations like this with you so that people understand how we think as a company, why we're different from these other institutions and you know, why our business is fundamentally different. Um, that's, that's, that's been very, very powerful. And quite frankly, you know, when they're talking to us, like we want to get the feedback, like we want them to tell us, Hey, this is how I think you can make this better. This is why this is important. This is why you should do it this way. And, um, and so far that that's, that's been a really good strategy for us this year. And I think over time, you know, we'll think about how do we get, um, even more distribution uh, with this uh, and, and this set of products. But right now it, it's really been, you know, let's get something out there. Let's see how people uh, respond to it. Let's make sure that it's structured in a safe and compliant way. And, uh, and let's get them into a house. Yeah, that's, that's great. So as you, you mentioned that you have 50 team members now, tell us more about kind of the, the profile of your hiring priorities. And like, are you, are you recruiting like traditional loan originators and processors and underwriters from the, the mortgage ecosystem or like what's, what's your staffing need and like, where have you been focused? Yeah, m- most of our team is product and engineering. Um, so a lot of what we do is building, building technology, building great user experiences. And then with that, you know, comes, uh, an expertise around mortgage, right? I'll be honest, right? Mortgage, mortgage is hard. <laughs> you know, out of out of all of the categories out there, right, around sort of lending and financial products, I think it's probably one of the hardest because you have components around being able to find a customer, being able to offer a product that they want. You have to figure out your strategy of how you're compliant with you know regulation and license on a state by state basis. You need to have experienced team members that know what that what that world is like. Uh, and then at the same time, you have to think about, you know, how do you get capital for the loans that you originate and how do you do this in a, in a scalable way um, that's repeatable over time, even if rates do decide to you know, go from three to seven percent in, uh, in, in, in four months. Right. Um, so for us, our team is making sure that we, we, we have the people in, in all of those areas that have unique skill sets um, where we can have that internally. And, you know, we've been very, very fortunate where we've got great investors good advisors, um, that can definitely help us and, and point us in the right direction, even if we don't know something internally. 
So I, I, I'm thinking kind of about like the, the biz dev process of borrowers that come into the funnel. And I think it's really like easy to say like, Oh, like crypto back mortgages, like, like for the traditional mortgage ecosystems, like, Hey, this isn't like a, this isn't a threat. It's a small niche product. And I, I think there's like some, you know, some, something to be some, some, some truth in that. Like there's a selection bias, right? Like the people who you talk to are, are already crypto investors, Bitcoin holders. Like, I don't think you're probably talking to many borrowers. Like, oh, you have a crypto mortgage. Let me go buy some of that and then come back to you and use it as collateral. So if someone's talking to you or one of your team, members, at, at least, at least not yet, not yet. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's a community, right? Like there's a selection bias to someone who is uh, going to talk to you about a crypto mortgage in 2022. Uh, we'll come back in a few years and see if it still feels that way. But if someone, if you're talking to a potential borrower, you're talking to a potential homeowner and they decide not to do a crypto mortgage, like what's, what's the reason? Like when, wh- where would they, why would they choose to g- take a conventional route versus the the crypto mortgage? I mean, a lot of what, what we do with, when we're having conversations with these clients is understanding, you know, why do they want that crypto mortgage, right? Why don't they get a conventional loan? Like how strong is that desire for them to continue to hold their Bitcoin? Um, and for some of them, which, you know, we've seen a number of our, of our, of our clients, they came in looking for a crypto mortgage and ultimately decided to go with something different, a 30 year loan where they did have a conventional down payment. And we were able to help them with that as well um, because we can, we can offer that, that product for them. So it's really understanding why they want to do this. And if they don't want to do it, you know, sometimes for some of them, it was saying, well, you know, I really don't want to lock up this much Bitcoin. There might be something else that comes along the way where maybe I need to sell some within six months. You know, I'm I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not that committed to basically having this for longer than, you know, two or three years. And then we tell them, look, this, this doesn't really make sense. And this is one of the reasons why we've been spending some time also you know, really ideating what does a just a standalone crypto loan look like for some of these consumers that want a little bit more of that, that flexibility, um, because it's not designed for everybody. I think for someone that is really confident, has conviction to say, I'm going to hold this for a longer period of time, right? The, the mortgage is 30 years. Again, it's a long time. Most mortgages tend to be, you know, four to five years, but it is something that you go into it saying, hey, we're, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to just date. I think we're going to kind of get married here. Right. And, and, and for some people that's a little too much in the beginning and, and that's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So kind of shifting over to like the industry perspective, like what do you think like the broader mortgage and housing industry misunderstands about the, the crypto backed mortgage? Like if you're like, if you're going to the, an MBA conference and talking to your peer lenders, like what are they, what are they not understanding about the product set that like you want to make sure there's clarity on in the industry? I think people are missing that people who have these digital assets, this is their wealth. This is, their net worth, right? This is what they have. This is, you know, if, if you've made the majority of your money in the equity markets or you made your money in a certain industry, right? You're going to have a very strong bias towards that. You're not going to all of a sudden make your money in the stock market and go and try to do something else. And the individuals that have amassed this wealth, they've done it over longer periods of time. I think that it's not the 22 year old that I think is very sort of stereotyped of what is the average crypto consumer. It's actually a consumer that skews a little bit older because the individuals that were able to amass more crypto wealth and digital wealth and Bitcoin wealth, they had a little bit of money 10 years ago. And that little bit of money has turned into a pretty sizable uh, net worth. And for them, 
it's really counter for them to say, all right, I need to do this to go and do something else with it. And I think there's a very, very strong sort of taboo around, all right, Bitcoin, crypto and what it does. And, you know, we look at it from a very basic thing. You know, someone has this wealth. We think there's value in that. And if it can help us underwrite the transaction and underwrite this consumer in a very, very sound way, then you know, we want to do that. And we want to basically structure this, this loan. And I think that the other thing that gets missed is maybe this isn't a product that every single you know, mortgage broker or loan originator out there ultimately is able to offer because there is a very strong trust factor between this client and who they're choosing to transfer their digital wealth to. And is that company sound? Do they have good processes in place? Who are their counterparts? Do they run a real credible company? And maybe that's not something because it's a different mortgage transaction. You get a mortgage transaction from someone. If they don't give you a mortgage, you, you put a bad review out there and that's it. With this, right, it's sort of a two-way street, right, where we have a real relationship with the consumer. And, and I think that, that that's very different. A relationship that has to sustain too, because if there is a massive move in prices and there is a, a margin call on the consumer, like that's a door you need open. So you can't really you can't really like sell servicing, right? You have to hold the loan and like be the servicer for the full relationship. Correct. Correct. And, and we've had a number of them that have come back for more loans, right? Multiple loans already and buying more property and seeing this as a way to, to really build up their, their real estate portfolio. So um, yeah. And, and, and that's why we, we take all of this incredibly seriously because we understand this isn't just a, a regular mortgage mortgagee relationship. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what do mortgage, I should have asked this earlier, but what do, what do rates look like? Like, how are you, like, what's the, what's the revenue model for, for your business and how are you charging borrowers? Yeah. So for us, you know, every loan that we originate, right, we own it ourselves. It's our asset. Um, you know, we work with different institutional counterparts, but for us, right, our loans are really something in line between what is a conventional loan and something that looks a little bit more as a you know, non-conforming, you know, different income underwrite, and it's really somewhere in the middle. So right now, our loan rates tend to be sort of in the eights and nines, so it's a little bit higher than the, than the seven percent, but it's lower than you know a ten or eleven for for some of these other sort of you know more bespoke type of mortgage products. Yeah, so I mean, you're pricing kind of in like non-QM like box, like the same kind of pricing that you'd expect like the self-employed or like credit blemished borrower to pay in a non-conforming product. Yeah. And it's a little lower than that. Um, but, but yeah, ultimately we're sort of in that camp. Um, and that's primarily driven because this isn't a loan that can go to, you know, Fannie and Freddie, right? It's, it's not that type of, not that type of product. You know, I think that if we're successful, maybe we, 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 we have them take a hard look at this, that this could be an interesting category for them, but, but at least not yet. So I think that over time, you know, the idea is to try to get closer to that, um, in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, like there's a, you have a higher cost of capital for your business. So like you can't lend at Fannie and Freddie levels. Yeah. When we launched a product earlier, like in, earlier in the year, right, we were doing loans at three and four and 5%, right? Now everything's moved up pretty significantly. Um, and, um, and we're subject to, to those moves, un, un, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, a lot of the things that we're thinking about is that, you know, rates have moved at a very, very elevated um, and, and sort of quick pace. You know, we think that a lot of the customers that get loans with us today, right, I think that in the not too distant future, you know, they'll refi, right, and, and, and they'll get an even better loan at that point in time. But if they really want to buy today, right, there, there's an option. And I think that that's what we want to give them is, is the possibility and the understanding that they actually can do this, right, and, and they don't have to wait or, or not do it. 
would you consider or like is it in the plan to to partner with like larger distributed retail lenders for for distribution of the crypto product as like kind of a broker or correspondent or is like is the vision stay stay d to c and work directly with the borrowers that that know that know you no absolutely i mean i think that for us we want we believe that this can become a pretty big category right so i think that that's something that definitely we're we're thinking through who are those other companies who aligns with uh, with our vision, you know, that understands and sort of how we think about a client and the relationship. And if we can find groups that that believe in that, then yeah, definitely we wanna we wanna work with them because we understand we can't do this by ourselves, right? We're one company. In order for this to get a lot bigger, there needs to be lots of people that are doing this. And even if you know, even if we have to compete, but that's a good thing because I think ultimately the net beneficiary is, is the customer when when a lot of innovations happen. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, well, Joseph, thank you for for diving into the business. I know this is a, uh, a a tumultuous time in the housing market, and like you're operating at the intersection of housing and crypto. So, like, I don't um I don't envy probably a few sleepless nights you've had this year. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I do uh, think the innovation is very interesting, and I I certainly am coming out of this conversation with a better understanding of the the segment that you serve. Yeah, thank you for, for, for having me on. I, I think that, you know, I'm more excited about the business today than I ever have been. And I think it's really rooted because a lot of times when you launch a new product, everyone always focuses on the downside and the stress and what can go wrong. And I think that on the other side, we're showing, hey, these are the things that can go wrong. There is a really sound product here. Consumers really want this. And I think that when things definitely normalize and, and undoubtedly they will, um, you know, I think that, that we'll, we'll be one of those companies that can, that can help lots of people. All right. Looking forward to following the path. Have a good one. Thank you. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the housing news podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.